Hello and welcome to Free America. I'm your host, Nick Yaya, and this is the Free America Podcast. And this is episode number 60. Boy, are we really moving along with these episodes. It's hard to believe it's been more than a year since we got this podcast started, but it's been such a wonderful ride. And we want to thank you, our viewers and listeners, for helping to keep us on the air and supporting the Free America Podcast, which has now been downloaded in... Uh, uh, I don't know the number of countries, but it's on all six continents. So everywhere except Antarctica, this podcast has been downloaded. And um, that is quite an accomplishment. I, I, it's something I'm actually proud of. And, and I thank you all out there for um, tuning in and continuing to download and support the Free America podcast. So our guests today uh, are two law enforcement officers that have a podcast called The Knock and Talk Show. And we're going to get some of their perspectives on what's going on in the law enforcement community with regard to COVID-19, as well as their thoughts on some other issues. And uh, before we do that, of course, we always like to uh, ask you to uh, visit the Free America Podcast website. If you like what we do on this show, of course, you can always vi uh, visit the Free America Podcast website, see this episode as well as previous episodes. And then you can also support us by clicking on the support button and going to our page which has options to support us via Patreon or PayPal. You can also support our affiliate marketing partners uh, in the areas of personal finance, self-defense, or health and fitness. And also you can visit uh, EMF Rocks by clicking on this Learn More button here. If you go there, we will get a commission if you choose to buy one of their products. And I do have to say, folks, that these products are fantastic. They help block out the EMF radiation that's coming from your cell phone and or from the cell phone towers to your phone, which um, they're just bad for you. They're not good for your health. I know that, they, that they've shown studies that, that these can cause brain tumors if you hold the phone up against your ear. But more importantly... They tend to disrupt your sleep by the signal constantly beaming back and forth. And so you put your phone in one of these uh, in one of these uh, EMF uh, uh, Faraday bags, and it'll keep that from occurring. And then you have these EMF rocks, which are great at absorbing that EMF radiation. And I put that right next to my bed. And I'll tell you what, I have never slept better than I have with having that on uh, or next to my head at at uh, at night. So I do strongly encourage you to do that and visit our sponsors, of course, as a way to, to support the Free America podcast. Okay, jumping into our news real quick. Uh, I'm going to kind of rifle through these things because I've got a lot of things, but they're all interconnected, and you'll see what I'm talking about here in just a second. But off the bat, one of our favorite frenemies of the show, Dr. Fauci, is uh, he says, one of the enemies of public health is di disinformation. Well, he finally got something right. Now, it's rare that he does. Of course, he when he's not wrong about something, he's either lying about it or, or, or spreading disinformation himself. But in this case, Dr. Fauci is telling the truth because the disinformation that is dangerous to public health is uh, is what is being put forth by people such as himself, people like the uh, the FDA and these big pharma companies who say the only route out of this pandemic is through the vaccination. When in fact, we know that there are other treatments available, specifically hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. And according to some experts, um, hydroxychloroquine in and of itself could have saved 85% of the lives that were lost this past year and a half due to COVID-19 or COVID-19 related deaths. So yes, you're right, Fauci, disinformation is a killer and an enemy of the public. Uh, in related information, um, a related story rather, I ivermectin infertility story correction, FDA rejects the 2011 Nigeria study. Now this is a retraction. Uh, which are rare in our, our media outlets, 
But they said that uh, the national story regarding ivermectin and a study regarding its effect on men's reproductive health that uh, KTSM published has been removed from our website. And it says concerns over scientific research methods and the veracity of the original peer-reviewed report and public statements by the FDA saying that infertility is not a known side effect of ivermectin, all led to our editorial decision to remove the story. So again, a little bit of good news on the front of information and disinformation out there. So they're trying their damnedest to shoot down ivermectin as they did with hydroxychloroquine, but as we're seeing, it is gaining momentum and is getting support, and the mainstream media narrative is beginning to fall apart. Okay, uh, daily U.S. COVID cases up more than 300% from Labor Day last year. Now, this caught my eye because it shouldn't be so high, and I asked myself, what is the, what is the one thing that has changed between Labor Day of this year and Labor Day of last year? And that is... The vaccine rollout. That's right. You got that right. So uh, I know that that correlation doesn't equal causation, but this is a huge red flag in that um, triple or excuse me, quadruple the number of cases uh, than last year. Uh, we should be seeing less cases if we've got, you know, oh, over 50 percent of the population vaccinated. Right. We shouldn't see, be seeing more cases. So this is an area of concern and something that I wanted to bring to your attention. Uh now, here's some interesting information about the uh, Wuhan Research Lab, of course, the one that Fauci says that they did not fund gain-of-function research at. Well, it turns out that according to the, uh, the, the paper that was published, or these, um, these, uh, uh, the, the information that was published, it says the viruses they constructed were tested for their ability to infect mice that were engineered to display human-type receptors on their cell. And uh, he went on to say that uh, after reviewing the documents, uh, he said, uh, Albright, this person, said it, uh, the documents make it clear that two different types of novel coronaviruses were able to infect humanized mice. So they took these coronaviruses that came from bats, they, they um, gave them the gain of function, right? So they made them more transmissible, more viral, more infectious. And then they were testing them on mice that had humanized cells. So essentially, they were trying to see if they could get this uh, this bat virus to migrate into infecting humans. So, uh, yeah, there is gain-of-function research that was going on at the Wuhan lab. And it was funded by Fauci and the NIH, uh, along with a gentleman named Peter Daszak. And uh, so now the, the, the truth is starting to come out. And we, I want to see some people go to jail over this, especially Fauci, because that man is just a liar. He's been a liar for a very long time. Uh, scary news out of Australia here. Um, Australian health official says the quiet part out loud. We will be looking at what contract tracing looks like in the new world order. That's right, folks. She actually said the new world order. Um, this is something that conspiracy theorists have been talking about for quite some time. And now they're actually showing their hand and they're showing it in a big way. And, and the reason I bring up Australia and it's going to be here for this next couple of articles is because this is a, a, a prime example of what you can do to a country that is isolated. So they are surrounded by water and a country that is predominantly majority of them are disarmed. So they have no way to to if they wanted to, to fight back against an authoritarian government that is increasingly 
um, increasing its stranglehold on these people. They let up a little bit and then, then they tighten down more and let up a little bit and tighten down more. And I'll show you here in these following stories what I'm talking about. So um, before we do that, kind of in a, in a related story, LAPD officers told to collect social media data, social media data on every civilian they stop. Now, why, why do I think this is an issue? Well, it's part of the creeping authoritarianism that we're seeing um, in fact, the United States, but that is also present in other countries. So, for example, in Australia, in Australia, uh, they're worried about a possible social credit score, uh, much like what we see in China. So they're going to track and trace and monitor everything that you do. And, and if you don't do what they want you to do, you won't be able to travel. You won't be able to buy certain things. You won't be able to see your friends or even get on social media. They can actually knock you right off of your social media account. And now they say this, they're doing this because they want to remove the veil of being anonymous so people can't can stop um, spreading disinformation on, on the Internet. Well, it turns out that uh, it's much more nefarious than that. And here in the um, in the uh, in, in the middle of the article here, they 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 talk about what they're already doing for people who have been uh, who have traveled into this into the country or into the different states from within the country, and that they will have to have a government um, app that subject users to multiple randomized checks in a day where they must use their face for clearance within 15 minutes. Users who miss a check for any reason will be called and made to explain themselves, while those who miss the call will be subject to a visit by law enforcement. So here you go, folks. Um, there it is right there that they, they want to track, they want to trace, they want to control everywhere you go and everything that you do. And, 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 and it's coming here to United States. In fact, it already is, and I'll bring that up here in just a second with another article. Uh, but uh, in this article from The Atlantic, of all places, uh, they say uh, Australia has traded away too much liberty. Well, no kidding. Yes, they have. And, uh, and in this, um, there is uh, there's something I wanted to cover in this article specifically that, ah, right, uh, which we just kind of covered, but returning travelers quarantining home will be forced to download an app that combines facial recognition and geolocation. So combined together with the social media aspect, they're going to be monitoring everybody's moves and everybody's statements on social media. And then they'll be able to shut you down. They'll be able to take away your voice if they don't like what you're talking about. Now, does that sound like a free country? It, it does not sound like a free country to me. Now, this guy, this I'll just go ahead and say this guy is an asshole. He is the he is an Aussie politician named Daniel Andrews, and he says people who do not get COVID vaccine will not be allowed health care. I, I, I'm not making this up, guys. Um, this is what happens when you when you have ceded your freedom to to this authoritarian government, like they have in Australia. They can do whatever they want, including taking away health care from people who want to make their own personal choices regarding an experimental shot, an experimental vaccine, quote unquote. All right. Um, so I, I'm sure this guy would feel the same about people who have chosen to eat fast food their whole life. You know, let's withhold health care from them because they made poor decisions regarding uh, their, their food. Or um, how about smokers? Let's let's not um, uh, let's not treat them for lung cancer you know, because they made bad decisions regarding smoking. I mean, this is what we're talking about here, folks. And, 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 and I'm, 
I'm just waiting for the Australian people to to rise up against this. They've been doing a great job. I have to admit, I've been watching a lot of videos and and, and articles, uh, seen a lot of articles out of Australia showing people standing up. But they have to move faster and they have to take these people out of the equation, vote them out, um, you know, do special elections, do something because they are they are destroying your country. And uh, in another example of them of them doing so, Australia now confiscates alcohol, limits residents in lockdown to six beers or premixed drinks or one bottle of wine. So now they're telling the, the people of Australia what they can drink and how much they can drink. They're, 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 they're sending the police to to confiscate items and 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 the people are they're searching bags and things coming into the building um they're, they're confiscating uh, items this is just this is just outrageous well we're seeing something similar in the state of Hawaii where Hawaii is now going to roll out their vaccine passports that's something we're uh, dealing with here in the city of Los Angeles where our city council is trying to make this a requirement. And uh, they say, here's the scarier part. The, the governor says that that if they uh, if they don't see results they want in 60 days, they will become mandatory for everyone to get vaccinated. So this is what they can do to people that are trapped on an island with no place to escape. Now, here in the in, in the continental U.S., if you don't like the policies of one state, you can move to another. You can drive across a state line and you can be someplace like Florida where they don't have these requirements as opposed to places like New York and California that do. Now, in from the um, the absolute insanity file, we've got Rutgers bars an unvaccinated student from attending virtual classes. Yes, you heard me right, folks. This student is a 22 year old. His name is Logan Holler. And. All of his classes are remote from his home, which is 70 miles away from the Rutgers campus. Yet they still will not let him uh, learn because he is not vaccinated, even though he is not set foot and will not set foot on campus. So this is just absolutely insane, folks. And to kind of wrap things up here, the CDC is now listing vaccinated COVID-19 deaths as unvaccinated deaths if they die within 14 days of the vaccine. So there it is. That is the news. And that is a little bit, uh, that's kind of scary, that last part right there. The reason I bring that one up is because they're, they're, they're gaming the numbers, folks. You got thousands and thousands of people that are dying from this jab. You got hundreds of thousands that have been injured from it. And um, they're trying to hide that information from us. And then on top of it, Joe Biden is saying that every federal employee will now be vaccinated. Everybody that does business with the federal government must be vaccinated. Employers with uh, employees uh, with more than 100 employees have to have all their people vaccinated or else they will face fines from the federal government. So this flies in the face of of what the uh, what what people were saying last year, these so-called conspiracy theorists who said that, that that vaccine mandates are coming and that vaccine passports are coming. They were called insane. They were called crazy. They were called conspiracy theorists. And in fact, they were correct once again. Sad days, folks. Sad days. But we try to do uh, try to keep you informed and up to date on what's going on so that you can also make informed decisions. All right. So now uh, we're going to be joined by our, our our guests today. We have two guests. They have a podcast together called the Knock and Talk Show. And um, uh, it's actually it's it's pretty interesting. And, and you might want to check it out. You can find them on Spotify, which is where I listen to one of their episodes. And um, 
Well, without further ado, just join me in welcoming Allison and Marcus from the Knock and Talk Show. Hello. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? Great, great. How are we all doing today? Perfect. Good. Good, good. good. Say, thanks so much for coming on the show. And uh, I, I believe this is the first time we've had law enforcement officers on the show. I've had doctors, oh, wow. we've had lawyers, but uh, but never in law enforcement. So so um, so this is great. We, we we get to get the perspective of some people who are right, you know, out there in the in the mix and and on the field and putting your lives at risk every day. And uh, it's a tough job. And I can only imagine it's gotten kind of tougher since this uh, since COVID nineteen has happened. Very much so. You talk about a, a change in the game. I mean, everything from our daily operations to the most minimal thing to the most extreme, it has completely flipped everyone's life, but but our job especially, just completely upside down. So so yeah, I mean, it has been it's been an adventure. That that's for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah, I, I I've noticed out here. I, you know, throughout my life, I've I've had very few if 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 any, uh, engagements with law enforcement, the most has been is over, you know, a, a traffic stop. And now well, that's I, I was actually looking at your criminal record before we got on here today. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> um, no. Yeah. But, but my, my point was, is that in this last year and a half, I've had more interactions with law enforcement than I have my entire life. And, and these have been when I have gone to go shopping at a grocery store, most, most usually most often, and I've been stopped by someone in the store and told I had to wear a face covering and I explained to them, hey, look, I have a medical condition. I can't wear one. Here's a letter from my doctor. And sometimes they, you know, they'll accept it, which is part of the mandate here in California. But other times and oftentimes what we found is that they will refuse to um, give me service. And, and a lot of times we'll call the police and try and have me charged with trespassing. And I just this this is just insane to me. I've had friends arrested for trespassing just trying to grocery shop. And it's just what what has become of our world where we're criminalizing people for making medical decisions? I I, I just this is just beyond me. Have you have you guys dealt with this at all? Have you seen have you had yeah. store owners call you for people who have not been wearing masks? One hundred percent. And and you know, when it all began, it was a very confusing time for everybody. Law enforcement, civilians, store owners, management we had no written laws in front of us that said it, you know, it's mandatory that, that I force you to wear a mask or, you know, so there was a lot of confusion when this all first started, as far as where our line was, how far do we get involved? What, what can we tell people to do? And again, you go back to where even all law enforcement are human beings. So everybody has their own opinions of the coronavirus and the mask mandates and everything else that comes along with it. But the, unfortunately, here in Ohio especially, I'm not sure how it is out where you are, when it comes to a business or a store owner management, when it becomes private property, they reserve the right to have their own rules, their own guidelines. And if they don't want you there, you have to leave, unfortunately. So coming into it, we tried to keep this very open, mm -hmm. friendly, Try to try to just talk to people. We're not here to enforce the mask mandate as law enforcement officers, especially with our department and in our state. That is not what we do. Again, we had no direct orders from the president, the governor, prosecutors. So we're not here to enforce your mask mandate. But unfortunately, we got into this area where 
if a store owner felt that you needed a mask to be in there mm-hmm. and they wanted you to leave, you had to leave. And then if you didn't leave, yes, you are subject to arrest for criminal trespass because you refused to leave that property. Mm-hmm. And we got a lot of negative input and outlook from the people we were dealing with because their feeling was it was all about the mask. And when you try to explain to somebody, you have to understand that it's not about the mask. It's about the laws and what we are required to do by law. Mm-hmm. It's not your mask. It's the fact that, unfortunately, yes, the, the the property owner reserves that right to have you removed. And if you don't leave, then, yes, you are subject to arrest. So what what could transpire was anything from the people that said, you know what, that's fine. I don't want that business to have, you know, my money or I'm not going to give them my business, which was fine. That That's obviously you're right. Yeah. to the people who thought we were the bad guys now because we had to take some type of action. We were required to, right? unfortunately, at times, but yes. Yeah, that, that's unfortunate, too, that you're put in this position. And I, I've had this discussion with uh, several law enforcement uh, officers out here. And and what we've what we've found, because I've been I've been doing a, a, just a ton of research on this uh, about the laws and about um, and laws versus mandates versus you know, civil, civil, um, civil violations, civil, civil rights violations versus criminal. Right. And what it came down to, I found, uh, according to the law enforcement is like, look, if someone is violating your civil rights, in this case, in the state of California, for example, and I believe it's also federal law that if, if someone's uh, operating a business that's open to the public, which means their doors are unlocked during business hours, people can come and go freely, whether or not they want to buy something or, or not. Um, it's considered a place of public accommodation. And as such, it's subject to uh, the laws like the Title III of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which says that a business cannot discriminate against a person based on their, their sex, their, their color, their religious um, beliefs, their um, medical condition, and uh, several other things. And so in this case, it's, it's, uh, they're discriminating against someone with a medical condition. And I asked the, I, so I said to law enforcement, I said, so I said, they're breaking the law here, but they're calling, they're calling you on me for breaking the law. And I've been told this several times that, well, we, we don't enforce civil law. We don't enforce civil code. We only enforce criminal code. And I'm thinking, wow, so someone can violate my rights in, in, in civil, civil rights, but yeah, they, they won't be held to account unless I take them to court for it. And at the same time, I can be charged with with trespassing for a place that I just came to to conduct commerce in. I didn't come in there to disrupt their business. I didn't come in there to destroy their property, uh, which are all aspects of trespassing. You have to have intent, from what I understand, to come in there and and disrupt or destroy or otherwise create a problem. And so um, that's where I, I, I was confused and where a lot of my friends have become confused as to what exactly you know, can we be charged with? And, and what I found was, at least in the case of two of them, that they were arrested and and they were cited for trespassing, but ultimately they weren't charged for trespassing. So what I think law enforcement is, has, has done, because they're, they're, they're in a difficult position, I get this, you guys are in a really right. difficult position with these business owners, yeah. um, is, that, is that in order to kind of keep the peace, you remove the problem from the situation and, and, and um, you know, you can call it trespassing, but uh, at the end of the day, it's technically, it technically isn't, but you've got the person out of the store 
and and the business owner is happy and the person's no longer there creating the problem and so uh, i mean from 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 the point of view from a, a civilian or someone who who um does have a difficult time wearing a mask um i I've, i'm disappointed by that but i understand it you know right and, so, and it goes back to to kind of picking your battles if i can come up right. to you and have a, a, a normal conversation with you and go Nick, look, man, here's the deal. You know, the, the business feels this way. I, you have to understand and have a little bit of sympathy for me also that my hands are kind of tied. Here's where we're at. Can you just work with me a little bit? And most of the time, I, I personally had zero arrests for trespass or anything of that nature during these mandates, thankfully. Uh, most of the time, it was just that that normal conversation of, look, we're all kind of in the same boat. Because when I take my uniform off and I go to you know, the, the gas station or the store to get bread and milk, whatever it is, even, even in the scope of our duty, we had the same mandates. We had to wear a mask if we were in and out of businesses. So we can all just get on the same page, hopefully get through it and understand yeah. that, you know, we all have kind of a role to play that that well, was our best approach. But we would get yelled at if we were running in like in a, an emergency situation. Yes. And if, we, if it was a, a high stress situation and we forgot to put our mask on because it was a high stress situation and you're worried about a million other things. We right. would be getting harassed and yelled at and criticized and all the other things. And it's like, do you want me to come in and either save your life or whatever it is I'm here to do or put my flipping mask on at this point? So I just feel like it's it's really divided this country so much. And I think, too, at the, the, the thing about the mask, when we have to go in and enforce such a I don't want to call it a silly thing, but just I hate having to go in and enforce such a thing like that, especially with someone like yourself when you're saying you have a medical condition. Like, who am I to tell you that you have to put a mask on or that you can't come into this store? You know, when law enforcement is already in a bad position in this country and in, yeah. in, in the eyes of people, people don't really like us at this point. For the most part, they really um, view us in a bad way just because of all the other things that have been going on. And it's like, this is only adding to it and just making us look even more so like we kind of have this power trip, like we're trying to force more things on people or do mm. more things that seem unreasonable or whatever it is. Um, I just really, I, I think it just made things a whole lot worse for us. So it just hasn't been good all around. So yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, that's another thing, right? You're saying that because I've had I've had law enforcement tell me that as well about the mask, you know, that they get it from both sides. It's like, well, uh, yes. you know, people are like, why aren't you wearing your mask, officer? You know, it's just like, yes. I stepped out of my cruiser. Will you give me a second? Here? <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. the people are so I'm quick. trying to not get shot here. Yeah. If we could just yeah. take right. a Crazy. But you brought up a point about how it seems like a lot of people have uh, have been really coming down on law enforcement and uh, recently especially during this whole thing with the blm and george floyd and i and i think it's i mean it's it's a it's been over amplified all right when you're talking about um law enforcement as a whole in general is there is there really this issue with racism is there do you see a lot of people um being being murdered by a law enforcement the answer is no if you look at the numbers, if you look at the statistics, uh, the number of unarmed people that are shot by law enforcement is is it's like in the single digits, I believe, every year. OK. And then if you take a, sev a certain number of those cases, 
they were either fighting with the officer or trying to take the officer's sidearm or, or you know, a service weapon. And that resulted in an officer-involved shooting. So, uh, and I think a lot of people are coming around to start to understand that. But during the heat of this debate last year, no one wanted to hear it. You know, everyone is like, oh, you know, they're trying to kill black people. There's institutional racism. And and it's just, it's just, it's just terrible. So have, have, have you guys, has your, um, has your, uh, uh, your, your, well, actually, we can't really talk specifics here, but uh, I'm wondering if you're seeing the effects of defunding the police where you're at. Directly for our department. No. It, no. Well, we're, sort of. Yes and no. I, I I don't know the ins and outs of, of a lot of the higher working parts of our department. We were not necessarily directly affected by that. However, we do come from a smaller agency to begin with. So, and our crime rate isn't, isn't that of obviously a bigger city. So I think we were able to, I don't want to say fly under the radar, but in a sense. I'm getting a little audio drop out there. I kind of froze up on their end and uh, hopefully we'll get them back here in just a second. I just didn't want to have any dead air. Um, are, are, are you there, Marcus? Allison, can you hear me? All right, looks like they're still frozen up. But I think what they were what they were getting at is uh, is that in some of the smaller communities, it's it's not so prevalent to have these defund the police movements because I think there's a, and I could I'm just kind of speaking for them at this point, but I think there's a closer relationship between law enforcement and the community in some of these smaller uh, cities and smaller towns that that you lose touch with that when you get into some of the larger markets, larger areas where you've got millions and millions of people, like we do here in Los Angeles, um, there's not that same community connection with law enforcement as um, as you have in some of these smaller communities. So I think we've got them back now. Let's bring them back up. Okay. So Are we back? We do. I apologize about that. I don't That's know okay. what, what went wrong here. It's uh, sometimes if it, if internet connection is a little, is a little, you know, dodgy, it'll, it'll lock up or it'll freeze up and kind of used to that. So if it happens on my end and you see me just freeze right. and stop talking, uh, just go ahead and keep talking. Cause this is kind of, it's done on the internet so we can, uh, it's still recording uh, either way. Okay. So, but uh, please continue. Um, I, I don't know what the last little bit you caught. Um, as far as us being directly affected, luckily we haven't been, we, we do come from a smaller agency. Um, I feel like the agencies that have been directly affected by the defund the police movement are the larger cities right um, a lot of the inner cities and unfortunately you know what what really blows my mind is it's the cities and the agencies with extremely high and violent high and or violent rates of crime right and, and i can't wrap my head around why you would want to take away from the agency or or, or, or you know what what is out there to lower Counter- those rates and keep everybody right. safe. It, it's Counter- very counterproductive. It. Yes. Yeah. I, it, I, I'll never understand it personally. Obviously we're a little bit biased on our but opinion. You forget too, that we are, we're indirectly affected by the defunding of the police because not our, our, um, our department directly, but the County that we work for as well as other counties and that surround us, they have been defunded and, I'm not kidding you when we cannot get anyone into jail. I mean, 
when's the last time you've drove someone to the county jail? I couldn't tell you the last time I've drove someone to the county jail. We've had violent felonies that we write a summons where it's essentially a ticket that has all their information, their date for court, and then they sign it pretty much saying that they will show up for that court date and then we release them. Pretty much the only thing that we're getting into jails are domestic violence, and that's about it. Violations of protection Protection orders. orders. Protection order violations, I'm sorry. So domestic violence and protection order violations. Other than that, we're having anyone with um, felony drug charges, um, felony thefts. Uh, We had a aggravated robbery that we summoned um i'm just trying to think of like top vehicle of thefts vehicle I, thefts. I mean you, you name it, it um, it's so it's so mind-boggling did they change the the policy because of covid19 i know here in california it was something along the lines of well uh we need to release people because you know we don't want people getting sick while they're in jail we also don't want to hold people in jail because they could uh, spread an infection and so it's, it's been this catch and release policy due in part to COVID, but also in part to our our, our new um, um, district attorney as uh, George Gascon. And he's like like some of these others in, in some of these more liberal areas have been have, have a really soft touch on crime. And they've really rolled back um, a lot of uh, what was once considered a crime into now it's now it's essentially an infraction or you get, you know, a ticket and a notice to appear. Yes. And it's just, it's just crazy that they're, especially when you're talking about a violent felony offense that to, to, to let somebody go, that just seems absurd to me. Yeah. And, and when you look at the rate at, at I mean, I, I'm sure you've seen it all over the place in the news, violent offenders who get released and within weeks, days, and sometimes even hours have again committed yet another violent crime, sometimes resulting in death, serious physical harm. Well, the research shows that violent offenders typically are the ones that continue to commit the violent offenses continuously. And these are the people that we are releasing on the street. And not only on top of that, you're taking away (laughs) law enforcement who was out there to stop them from doing that. Right. You know, again, you look at a lot of these big agencies who have a lot of specialized units as far as gang units, drug units, anti-violence units. That's what they attacked first. What did you think the result was going to be? And then you release the people that those specialized units have been set out on the streets to go after and put behind bars so that that violence and that crime stops. Mm-hmm. I, I have no... It it really is. I mean, it's 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 baffling when you especially on our side, when you sit back and look at it. Yeah. Why why are we doing what we do on a daily basis if you're just going to throw their cases out and release them back into society where they don't belong? Exactly. Well, you know, that's that's been a question a lot of people have been asking. And if you look at it from a, a historical perspective, this is what we saw in Russia in the run up to the Bolshevik revolution where um they they were releasing criminals they were um not not uh, arresting violent felons or violent people for for doing these things they were uh this is this seems to happen in countries that that uh, are moving towards communism and it seems like that's they want to destabilize our country to make it easier to 
you roll out these these more um, you know communist or Marxist policies and ideologies, and there have been people who have been who have been actively working to implement that on a, on a on a on a national scale. People like George Soros who are funding the uh, the campaigns of these people like our DA or uh, like like mayors or or even governors of states who who um, uh, who adopt these policies and essentially destroy their country and, and I don't understand why they would do that other than for money or power uh, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me that someone know. would would sacrifice um, their own people in in, in pursuit of what is obviously a bad policy. And I have to wonder, I mean, is there, is there a point at which, I mean, I know, I know, I know law enforcement, you, you guys, your hands are tied because you, you, you don't make the policy. You just enforce it. You know, you, 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 you basically you're given the order, you follow the order and that's that. But do you think, and this is just like a personal question for you, not necessarily, um, something that you'd have to answer from the perspective of a law enforcement officer, but do either of you think there's going to come a point at which uh, law enforcement officers or others will stand up and say, no, these are, these are unconstitutional. These are dangerous orders and people's lives are at risk here. And we're not going to, we're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to enforce it anymore. Absolutely. And, and I think at some point in time, as a human being job aside, you have to make that decision. You have to. We've seen an alarming rate of officers leaving the profession because of things that have already been implemented, whether it was during COVID and the mask mandates or uh, it, it is it is happening now actively. It, and, and unfortunately, usually the answer is leaving the profession, because when you're the low man, you're not going to make change. You, right. you, you have to do what you are told. You take an oath. Right. Um you have rules and regs, policies, procedures. You, your, your hands are kind of tied. Chain of command, everything. Outside of the job, yeah. I mean, it has just like I said in the beginning, as being a human being, at some point in time, as a nation, collectively, at some point in time, we we have to get together. We we have to take a stance and and kind of get our feet back underneath us in, in order to stop these things from happening the way they are. And, and it, right now, I feel like everybody's just kind of sitting back watching everything just just get torn apart. And I think they're waiting for someone else to do it. I think that, right. I mean, for from my perspective, I just see morale drop. I mean, from even at our department, I mean, mm -hmm. I can speak like for what we see, morale has dropped significantly at our department and we're much smaller. And, and we're a smaller department, we're a suburb, but we border a large city. So, I mean, we do see our fair share of everything. We have a good mix of everything, but our morale has dropped significantly. We talk to a lot of different officers at other departments, their morale has dropped significantly. It's not that they don't want to be in this profession anymore as a police officer and do the job that they signed up for. It's, I think they don't want to do the job that is today that we're being asked to do today yes. because the things that we're being asked to do today are not the things that I signed up for even seven years ago when I got into this job. It just, it has changed so drastically and we're not, I feel like 
you know, when I first got his job, I always got laughed at in interviews. They were like, why do you want to be a cop? I said, I want to help people. And they'd be like, well, you're not going to help anyone in this job. I think that's a lie. And I think in the first couple of years, especially of both of our careers, we both can say we help people. And in the last two years, I would say as all this stuff has started coming about between the um, BLM, George Floyd, now coronavirus, all that stuff. I mean, it it has trained or changed so drastically that we're not really helping people anymore. I feel like we are just, I, I don't even know what you can consider we're doing. I feel like we're just the bad guy always to people anymore, just because it's, it's, it, it's just never anything good. I feel like even it, when we're doing the right thing, right. It's never right. We're not doing the right eyes. thing. For, not for everyone. And obviously yeah, we have our supporters 100%, 100%. and we have people that do appreciate us and thank us and things like that. But it feels like the vast majority of people look at us like we are just the, the enemy. They mm-hmm. were just the bad guy out there just doing the wrong thing kind of. So, I mean, hopefully one day though, people will stop I should say officers will stop feeling like they need to wait for someone else to do the job, whether it's maybe like a, a politician or a supervisor or whoever they think is going to make that change and realize that the change is only going to happen from the ground floor, which is us, which we feel like we can't do anything right now. But I feel like if everyone does get together at some point in time, change will happen, but we have to do it together, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. No, it, it does. Absolutely. And, and, and I think a good, a good barometer for that, at least what, from my perspective would be comparing these policies against the constitution, right? So you, you as uh, law enforcement officers and, and many people that, well, everybody that works for the government uh, is, I believe they, they swear an oath to uphold and defend the constitution. And so uh, more and more, we're seeing these 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 laws and policies and mandates and so forth that are repugnant to the Constitution. And 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 I'm just wondering, you know, what's what's that? What is that line uh, that that you won't cross when it comes to it? Is it will it would it be something along the lines of uh, of helping to to enforce mandatory vaccinations like what they're talking about doing in Hawaii? I mean, what if you guys were called upon to do something like that? How, how, how would you feel about that? Personally, this has no reflection on our department, on our department or, or our employer. I, I wouldn't do it. No. And because, same with the gun when we were talking about when they wanted to recall. Or yeah, you start looking at the those, Second Amendment, yeah. you know, when they they want to try and infringe on that. I will have no no part of it. That I feel like you're in a in a battle. You're, you're kind of not going to win. And then you have to go back to your own morals in your own beliefs it, at some point in time, you, you really do. Yeah. Personally, I, you wouldn't catch me doing it. That, that would probably be the day where I took a career change. I, I mean, I, I wholeheartedly believe that. Yeah. I, I think people have, have forgotten what the constitution is for. Um, it's not to control us. Right. Right. It, it's to control our government. And I feel like it's been flipped to where right. now it's used to control you and I, and and I think we really need to to remember why that was created. That's that's an excellent point. I think we we have as as a, a society in general has kind of lost sight of the original intent of the of the framers of the Constitution, which was to to enshrine these God given rights and then and instruct the government to protect them. 
uh, or protect people's rights as opposed to yeah. try and infringe upon them or find ways around it or move the goalposts or all these little tricks that they're doing at the at both the, you know the, the the county the state the the national level to circumvent uh, the protections of the Constitution is uh, it, it's it, it just it's stunning to me to to see this occurring and it's like. You, like you said, everyone's waiting for someone else to stand up and do it and and it's, it's stand up to fight back against it. And I, I've come to the conclusion I, I, I meet with uh, a couple different groups of people out here. They're, they're you know, all about rights. There's one's called People's Rights, in fact, is the name of the group. And and I've expressed to people uh, that that we, we need to stop waiting for someone to come and save us is that we are the people that we've been waiting for. We are the ones that need to save ourselves. Unfortunately, that's kind of what it's come down to. And I would feel, I would, I would feel because you said that if something like that were to happen, that you'd find another career. And 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 I think the the unfortunate side effect of that is that the only people left uh, are the ones who would agree with something like that and say, "Yeah, I, I take people's rights. I don't care. Inject them. They're a danger to society." And so we're left with a a law enforcement community that has no regard for civil liberties or, 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 or people's personal autonomy or rights. And same with our military. I'm, I'm very concerned about what's going on with the, 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 what will eventually, I believe, be a purge of our, of our military or those who don't want to take this experimental jab. And so what we'll be left with are, are those who are okay with forced inoculation of other people. And, and that's, that's a scary thought. And that could lead us down a path of, uh, you know, a, perhaps another civil war and nobody wants that. And, and so uh, there's, I, uh, there's really no good answer. I, that's why I asked, you know, well, how do you feel about this? And, and I've, I've talked to other people about this and, um, and also law enforcement, you know, when I've, when I've just met with them, uh, at these different locations. And the answer is always kind of the same. It's like, well, you know, I have my own personal beliefs. I cannot discuss this while I'm on duty, but it's kind of like a, you know, a hint, hint, wink, wink, you know, I'm with you on this one. And so, uh, yeah, that is, that is definitely concerning. So, um, wow. You know, just, it makes me think about too, like when it comes to, um, that line of like where we would draw for what we would enforce and things like that. I think I want people to understand too, that as times have changed and now that we're in 2021, the amount of discretion that we have as officers. Now, when it comes to our own personal decisions on whether we um, would enforce like the um, vaccination or, you know, the second amendment, things like that, that's our own personal choice, but our yeah. discretion while on duty has immensely changed just even in the time that both of I have, or both of, of us have started our career, just because of, you think that we are on body camera, we, you know, have other recording devices, other people are recording us. I mean, how many cameras are recording us? You know, you think when we're on one single call for service that some people want to be like, oh, officer, you know, just give me a break, cut me a deal this time, give me this, give me that. And it's like, you don't understand. I don't even have a choice. I can't even help you out even if I wanted to, because I am re being recorded right now. And I'm sorry, right. but my job is more important than cutting you a break right now because right. I need to go home today and I need to be able to feed my family and do what I have to do and not, you know, whatever the, the deal that they want cut for, you know, for the 
to have a better day for themselves, whatever it is, but they, our discretion has been taken away. So what would you say? Maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, more when your dad was a cop, right? They had a lot more discretion. There was no recordings. There was no things like that. Cops, though, I think recordings have their place and are a good thing. There was also benefits to the increased discretion that officers could make more decisions in order to help people out a little bit more where they could. Um, yeah. I, and I don't want to call it bending the rules, but just help people out right. where they could. Um, whereas now we, we can't. I mean, we are we are being recorded on every single thing that we do, that we have to do everything by the book or my job's on the line always. And I, I think people forget that and they they want us to, you know, help them out. But we can't. We can't yeah. do those things for them, you know. So it's unfortunate. But yeah, and that's that's kind of the the um the the issue and I, i've tried to explain to people i've because i've had friends try to argue policy with a, a police officer and i was like guys you, you you're talking to the person who doesn't have any control over this policy all right they're just right. here to in, enforce it and i said you want to you know you want to argue policy go and talk to your district attorney go and talk to a judge go and talk to your city council member and yeah, absolutely yeah. And, and people, people don't understand that. They think that, that, that you guys are like the judge, jury and executioner and that, you, you know, you can say who lives and who dies, who goes to jail, who doesn't. And that, you know, that's not the case, but, but as you said, not having that discretion or the ability to um, discern whether or not something is, you know, is this person really a threat? Um, uh, was, is uh, what, they is, uh, you know, is what I was called out here to do, you know, and, and uh, or what they were doing really a, a violation or was it just a misunderstanding or was it misconstrued right. in some form or fashion? And, and like you said, now your hands are tied because of um, uh, in part because of the body cams, but also just in, it, because of, things have become so. Oh, just so critical, hypercritical uh, of yes. law enforcement, I can't imagine the pressure. Uh, that that you must be under. I mean, because I, I I try to um, uh, be a, em, empathic. I try to put myself in other folks' positions or in the in a, another person's shoes to understand it. And I'll tell you what, guys, uh, I I can't imagine what it's like uh, to be a target. Really, if you, there are people out there who want to kill you, and and that's that's just that's just a fact. And to, to go to work under those conditions every day, first of all, you're you're huge, you're just brave beyond beyond um, beyond description. But I, I just can't imagine the kind of stress you're under, and and every every traffic stop could end up, you know, putting your life in jeopardy. I mean, what, what what's that like? How do you handle that? You almost become immune to it after a while. Really? When you do it day in and day out, you, you have to keep the the dangers and the and the risks and the possibilities of what can happen at the very forefront of your mind on everything you do. Absolutely. But even in today's world, as a civilian, you share some of the same risks that we do, especially depending on where you live. It, it's a reality in today's world, un unfortunately. So if you just Keep it in mind. Try and stay as vigilant as you can. Like I said, unfortunately, you, you kind of just get used to it. But you really do. Um, if you just just try and do what you know you need to do. And, and like I said, stay safe and stay vigilant. But 
knock on wood, we're still good today. So it's it's definitely it's it's not an easy thing, but but you yeah. have to know that also getting into the job. It it yeah. does come with it, unfortunately. Wow. You just always have yeah. to be on your toes. You have to just always be thinking ahead. We were talking about this the other day, like when you're responding to uh, some sort of emergency call, you are thinking about 20 different scenarios in your head while you're running with lights and sirens, navigating traffic, talking on the radio, looking at your computer, doing all million different things while you're driving. And you're also thinking about what if this happens? What if this happens? This is where I'm going to park. This is how I'm going to show up here. This is what I'm going to do once I get there. This is who I'm going to be looking for. There's so many things going on at once. And it and it sounds like a lot when you're explaining it, but you, you just get really used to it. And you kind of get in this rhythm that it just becomes your norm. And you just kind of get used to that. We always describe it as like a low level anxiety. Like it's just, you're just constantly at this like low level of anxiety where, and I think anxiety is a good thing to some degree because it's that staying on your toes, being vigilant, always being aware of like what's going on your surroundings. Because if you, if you, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, If you're not um, too submissive. uh, Complacent? Complacent. That's the word I'm looking (laughs) for. If you're complacent and you're not paying attention to what's going on, that's when someone's going to get hurt or you're going to put someone else in danger or, or get someone else hurt. Um, you just always have to kind of be thinking 20 steps ahead and you got to think 30 steps ahead of the bad guy always. You know, I don't know if there's any officers listening now or if you've ever heard this before. It, it may sound a little odd, but after a while, that becomes part of the drive to do the job. Is a little bit of that fear, a little bit of that unknown. It becomes fun. And, it is and, fun. And almost, <laughs> it is fun. Almost addicting after a while. It, as weird as that sounds, I, I know it's, you're oh. probably looking at it, it's like we're crazy, but <laughs> it is. But oh. it, it is. I mean, it's it's a drive you you kind of have to have. It, it's, yeah. No, I, would, I, I, I really wouldn't trade it for the world. I, I really wouldn't. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not. It's not unusual at all. I've I've heard similar things from uh, vets, and they get back from yeah. in combat. You know, that's that. There's not that that edge life seems a little bit more dull when you're not in that, in that arena, in that area. And some of them, I know one friend of mine actually went back as a private contractor to serve several more tours over in Iraq and Afghanistan um, because he kind of, he kind of liked it. You know, he liked that, that, that environment, that that little bit of adrenaline uh, that, that gives you that edge. It keeps you on your toes. And so I definitely see what you're talking about. Um, there's uh, that element of danger, but also a little bit of exci- a little bit of excitement that goes along with it. So you never uh, know what you're going to get. You never, never. know <laughs> what you're going to get into for the day. <laughs> keeps it interesting, right? <laughs> it does. It surely does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. And you guys are t- you you brought up uh, something also about uh, when we were talking about defunding, and you're saying that, the, that and what we're seeing is that the defunding efforts are occurring in in some of the worst crime-ridden places. You know, places like New York. I know, for example, they I believe they defunded uh, some 500 plainclothes officers, and they saw just skyrocketing murder rates. I think murder was up something like 300% and, and other crimes were up. And y- y- you know, you think a logical person would look at that and say, wait, okay, maybe we shouldn't do that. But it seems like some of these mayors and some of these uh, 
you know, city council people are doubling down on it and saying, well, you know, we should have uh, community outreach officers that are unarmed that go and deal with people that are, you know, in, in these disturbed mental states or, or, or just whacked out of their minds on drugs. And it's, it, it would seem to me, and I don't know, perhaps you can, you can tell me something different, but it seems to me like you're putting more lives at risk by operating in that fashion, as opposed to having someone who, um, who is able to physically restrain someone or, or defend themselves or someone else should something happen. When I think it was San Francisco was the first article I saw come across on the computer when this first started, when they were having social workers, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, go to the homes, assist officers, or they were to respond first when it, when it was coming in with anyone with a mental issue or mental health issue coming in. Um, my mind was blown when I saw this because I think about some of the calls that we deal with and some of the people that are having uh, mental health crises that we deal with. And most of the time we can talk to them, we get them the help we or that they need, we get them to the hospital, whatever the case may be. Usually that they, they re, um, result in peaceful um, endings. Sometimes they do not and the person can become violent or one second you're having a conversation with them, you think everything is going smoothly, you've developed rapport, everything is fine. And then the next second, in a split of a second, they're attacking you and you had... I mean, you might have had some sort of warning that you just didn't even realize what was going on because there's so many other things going on at the time, whatever the case may have been. But how is a social worker who is there, like you said, unarmed, isn't trained in any sort of defense tactics that I'm aware of and isn't trained in, you know, anything that we have, you know, combat wise that to be able to to mitigate that situation and they're just supposed to defend themselves? What are they going to? What are they going to do? I don't know. Are they supposed to call us and then wait till we get there to be able to help them in that situation? It just, it makes no sense to me because you're putting their life at risk. And then you're also putting the person who's in crises at risk because they're not getting the immediate help that they need. And that's not fair to them because they need that immediate help. And that's the whole point of us responding in an emergency fashion is to get there quickly to get them help as quickly as we possibly right. can. It, it just makes no sense. No, no, me. it doesn't. I, my, uh, my, my cousin is a Lieutenant and Denver police. And he was telling me a story about, uh, cause some people will say, well, the police use too much force sometimes, you know, in situations like that. Right. And he was saying they got a call out to this apartment building. They had, they had been called there before for this one guy who just always plays his music too loud. He's usually, you know, drunk off his ass. He's high on something or other. And they came up, they knocked on the door and said, hey, we've had a call for disturbance, um, you know, about disturbance. Can you turn down the music? And he was like, fuck you, go away, you stupid, you know, cops, blah, blah, blah. And and my cousin said, look, he he, he opened the door put the guy up against the wall and says, shut down the music or we're taking you to jail. And the guy was like, okay, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right now. Some people would look at that and go, whoa, he was being too forceful. Well, two days later, there was another call to that same residence and the officers that arrived, they were, they were junior to him. They were, you know, rookies. They didn't have the experience and they were trying to use this softer touch, this softer approach to dealing with this guy. And so, uh 
you know, they knocked on the door. Hey, could, you know, could you please keep it down? You know, he's asked, screw you guys, whatever, get the hell out of here. Well, look, sir, you know, we really need to ask you uh, to, to please comply. And, and he, uh, he turned around and he walked back to the back of the apartment. He grabbed the gun and started firing at the officers and they returned fire. Now they weren't hit, but they hit him and he died. And now this is an example of, and this is what my cousin told me, this is why sometimes you need to use force to control a situation because the situation could get out of control. And not only does it put you and your partner's life at risk, but it also puts the suspect at risk of being killed. And so that's kind of what, uh, what I think we're talking about here with these same situations with people who are mentally unstable, um, not only is, is the person who's dealing with them life at risk, but their own lives uh, are potentially at risk in, in these situations. So um, it, it's always easy to sit on the outside and say, you use too much force or sometimes even not enough force. But until you are actively in that situation and you are face to face with that other person or that, or that situation that's staring you down, I think sometimes people need to be a little careful on how they respond. Yeah. Personal opinion, of course. Right. Right. No, there, there was go a case ahead. of, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. no, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say there was a, there was a case. I, I, I think it was, it was either Illinois or, or Ohio. I can't recall which, but it was this last summer where there was a guy who um, police were called because he had arrived at his ex's house. He was, he had sexually assaulted her. There was a restraining order against him. Um, the officers were, were trying to um, get him to comply. And, he he was he had fought with them he wrestled with them he got away from them and and he went around his car and he got into he reached into the car and he was reaching for a weapon he was reaching for a knife and the officer grabbed him he was trying to pull him back and he shot him i believe seven times in the back and people were saying well he shouldn't have shot him he was unarmed no i call bullshit that guy was a danger you don't know what kind of weapon he was going for he could have been going for a gun and the officers several, several times, they said, stop, you know, stop, go, stop moving, stop trying to resist. Um, and 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 because he didn't comply, he, he's now paralyzed from the waist down because because he chose to, um, to, to, to to not listen to orders, not listen to a lawful command from 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 an officer. But I mean, the, how can you blame these guys? They're like, oh, well, the guy was black and the cops were white. Who cares? That has nothing to do with it. The fact is that this I, I, guy was dangerous. I, I remember that exact story. And the issue I have with it is the fact that when that story first came out and you were watching the news on it, there was only a very short snippet, like there is in most cases, uh -huh. that was shown and shown to the public so that a certain narrative could be put out. The the When the details first came out, it was never mentioned that he had a, a weapon of any sort. And I believe it came out later that he was actually reached in and grabbed, a, I believe it was a knife. Yeah. It took a very long time for those details to be released. And that is very frustrating because we're judged on, first off, having to make a split second decision. And then we're ridiculed on a fraction of the details, if they're even accurate, that get released. Right. It is the most frustrating thing in the world. And you are judged by what may, mostly mainstream media decides to put out. Yeah. 
and, and they try they they try to craft this narrative that it fits in line with what you're seeing on some of the other news channels. So it's like, oh, let's all jump on the you know the f the police bandwagon and and that uh, all cops are racist and this and that. And so they they you're right they they fail to disclose all of the facts in an effort to shape the narrative. And you're right, that's exactly what happened. And this was at the heat too. This was the, the this is at the apex yeah. of of this frenzy over George Floyd and 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 in the midst of and the months of well not the months but at that point like the weeks of riots and demonstrations and things that were taking place it's almost as if they were trying to incite more violence it's incredible i i i just i don't understand how these news uh, uh agencies can't be held accountable for for some of the violence that they helped to create this is just beyond me when well, i love that the the news articles the title is always white cop kills black man yeah and it's like why does it always have to be about race from the very beginning it always has to be white cop kills a black man or black female or whatever it is it always mm -hmm. has to be about race it never is about any other aspect of the story that is all that matters in that story and it's always the largest lettering and that is the only portion that people see and that is the only portion that they care about and they don't care about the details and they don't care about what happened before and all the things that occurred before right. that led to that final situation and why we are here today. And and that's what's frustrating. And, is that and it shouldn't take away from the fact that a person lost their life. It shouldn't be about the color of their skin. It well, should yes. just be a person lost their life. An right. officer shot them. We can have a story, but it shouldn't be about the officer's race and the suspect's race. It should just be you can report the story, but it doesn't need to be about their races. You know, exactly. I, to me, that's just it takes well, I, away from it. it. I noticed. I noticed it's that frustrating. that it, I can imagine. No, I noticed that it was noticeably absent from the story about uh, Ashley Babbitt on January 6th. You know, she was an unarmed white female that was shot by a black officer. Now, why why didn't they bring up race in that case? Right. Um, it, because it was the opposite of the narrative. narrative. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And so I. It's like you can see it, I can see it, a lot of other people see it, and it's just it got to wonder at what point is is the news media going to wake up and go, up oh, they're on to us, you know? But I, I just I I don't think I don't think they will. Uh, unfortunately, I think that we're we're uh, we're going to be faced with this for quite some time, and uh, I I like I said I only I only wish you the best out there, and hopefully that you're not put in in one of those situations where you have to make these split second calls. I mean, there, there are guys, there's a, there was one in, in Atlanta, Georgia, around that same time where uh, a guy reached, reached for an officer, he actually grabbed the officer's taser and, and pointed it at them and was, and was, tr you know, trying to hit him and they had to, they had to shoot him. And uh, the, the state attorney general or, or the district attorney, one of the two was saying, well, you know, that's, 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 um, that's not a, uh, uh, that's not a deadly weapon is what he said. And so they shouldn't have used deadly force. But I think a month or two before that, in, in, a, in a reverse kind of situation, he said that that tasers are deadly weapons. Oh, when a cop used it on a suspect yeah. and he said, well, that's a that's a deadly weapon. So the guy obviously contradicted himself, but it, it was all about the politics. It's all about the race. It's all about, um, yes. you know, how can we further inflame racial tensions in the United States? It's just disgusting, to, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm just over it with these people. Um, so, we are too. <laughs> good. I, and we back you up too. There's a lot of us out there um, that if you're not aware of it, there are a lot of people that back the blue. We know that, that you are on the, on the right side of this thing. 
And so just know that a lot of people do, in fact, um, support you. And I'm one of them. And um, but I wanted to ask you a little bit about your podcast, the the knock and talk show. Tell people, first of all, um, I know what a knock and talk is. I've heard about it. I've seen cop shows. Uh, but tell tell our viewers and listeners around the world what a knock. Well, no, what's a knock and talk, Marcus? Go ahead with your cop knowledge. A <laughs> little bit of play on words, obviously. <laughs> yes. But yeah, just a we cop um, a cop showing up to someone's house, knocking on your door, wanting to talk to you, get some information, whatever it was. So it was just a play on words. We kind of thought that it was catchy, things like that. And we've always wanted to start a podcast, so we were um, talking one day, and I was like why don't we do this? And I, I don't know why I came up with the name. I think I like Googled, um, old, like cop terms, like different, like lingo that they were using and knock and talk came up and I was like, Oh, that'd yeah. be kind of cool. So let's, let's roll with that and see what, what happens with it. So here we are, the knock and talk show. <laughs> so, and how's it been going? I mean, I saw you're up to episode five now and, and uh, yeah, let's go to the latest episode. <laughs> episode five was interesting. Huge but... learning curve, <laughs> yes. you know, and, and I think some of it also behind it for us was we're also human beings. Yes. We, we do obviously get into a lot of the law enforcement aspects. We have a law enforcement name, but we're also sitting here. Sometimes we have a, a few cocktails and sometimes we just just kind of BS back and forth. And, and we just kind of want to put a little bit of a human element as well as, as share some knowledge and, and some stories and, and really just just kind of have fun with it at this point. So mm -hmm. and yeah. myself personally, I like to dive into a lot of the social issues. So like, for example, episode five is about the gender issues and transgender issues currently going on, things like that. So um, I just find them fascinating. And I like to read a lot, read a lot of the research, things like that. So we really just really get into it. So <laughs> we we have a lot of episodes planned about that. And um, one of the things that I do focus a lot on at work is the sex trafficking aspect of things. I do um, in my master's degree, I focused a lot on sex trafficking. So my hope is as I like kind of gather a lot of my stuff together is to um, do some episodes on the sex trafficking to dispel some of those uh, myths and misconceptions and things like that. I think that it's a really important thing to continue to get out there because I think with everything we have going on, the human trafficking aspect of it, especially sex trafficking was a, um, major topic that people were talking about for a minute and then i think it kind of got whitewashed by everything else going on and and it, it's still being talked about but not quite as much anymore um so mm. i kind of want to get it going again i want to have people still talking about it and and having the truth of it out there and not people putting the myths like they do constantly on social media that drive me absolutely crazy so yeah that, <laughs> cool. it's 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 true and human trafficking and and sex trafficking as well I think are are increasing in large part due to the open border policy that we've seen recently with the with the Biden administration. You know, with a less secure border, uh, it's basically saying, "Hey, come on in," and and people are taking advantage of that. And those people include some of these cartels, which end up uh, trafficking human beings and and uh, ultimately sex trafficking, and uh, and sometimes even children, and and. Uh, it just, it just, it just, it's, it's beyond me as to why that, that they would think that that's a good policy to kind of embolden these, these criminal cartels and give them essentially, you know, carte blanche really to, to, in, 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 you know, uh, step across the border and traffic in human beings. They take 
you know, their money. Sometimes they take their lives. They hold them hostage. They hold members of their families hostage. I mean, it's just, it's just terrible. Are you, are you seeing a, um, have you seen at least in your state, uh, a lot, an increase in, uh, the relocation of some of these immigrants? I know that there's been talk that, that they're being bussed and flown all over the United States. Have you seen, have you seen an increase there where you're at? I haven't seen too much. Not, I mean, not not directly in our city. We do have again. We we border a lot of much larger cities, and we do see they have pockets areas. Yeah, where you get a lot of neighborhoods where a lot of large families and, and groups of of you know certain backgrounds and stuff are starting to obviously increase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, but I, I imagine I mean that that also increases the the, the propensity or the, or the likelihood for. Uh, this this human trafficking or sex trafficking to to occur, and uh, just by just by default of having just large populations move in, I guess by a certain percentage is this just going to happen? Um, yeah, that's uh, that's it's terrible what is going on, and that that not a lot is being done, or it's not being talked about as much because it's it is the biggest global problem. I think uh, modern. Human trafficking and slavery, it is, there's millions of people, apparently, that I don't have the exact number off the top of my head, but, but millions of people are, are victims of this. And, and, and a lot of them are here in the United States. There's this whole, this whole notion, this whole push that, that America is this uh, you know, country founded on slavery. Well, um, not only did we fight a war to abolish it, but you know, we've since passed many laws, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and others, to address the the racial inequalities and and to um, to help remedy some of the damage done by slavery, yet we've got this modern day slavery going on right under our noses, and nobody's saying a damn thing about it. It just it it blows my mind uh, that that this is still occurring in the United States. And yes. uh, yeah, now now do you have like uh, any kind of um, autonomy or, or as law enforcement to go and if you suspect something is going on is it like I, mean, I know it sounds like a little bit like it's on tv shows like you you got a hunch and you think something's going on you go to investigate and it turns out there is something going on do you guys ever do anything like that is is that is is that what law enforcement is really like or is that just TV I, think it, I think yes I, I think it depends on the scope of the issue yeah. you know obviously if it's something larger again being in a smaller agency if it's something larger than we can handle or the resources that we have within our department or on staff at time there's a lot of times it will be passed off to a larger federal or state agency or something like that to, to kind of help us take over the investigation or do their part especially if they're specialized in that specific issue mm-hmm like for myself personally, when I first started getting into the sex trafficking aspect, I, I know human trafficking as a whole encompasses labor trafficking amongst other things, but I focus more specifically on the sex trafficking aspect of it. Um, when I had sus- suspicions, well, my belief is that sex trafficking happens anywhere and everywhere. I, I don't think that is defined by cities or it is everywhere. And I want people to understand that, that no matter where you live, your, your children, anyone... You're not immune from it, and it doesn't happen in basements and chains and kidnappings like people want to think that it is. It, it mm-hmm. is, it is much more about social media and and the pimps and traffickers and those people. They are very good at what they do, and they are not 
what um, Hollywood portrays them to be. And they are good at luring the vulnerable populations. That's that's who's at risk for sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. And what I look at, it's the the runaways. When I, when I look at juveniles, it's the runaways, um, children who uh, um, are using drugs, they um, are juvenile delinquents, they're associating with other juvenile delinquents. Any... Um, any vulnerability, pretty much a pimp is going to exploit and they're going to go after that and they're going to promise these juveniles a better life and that they're going to give them that better life. And then that's why that juvenile should go with them and be their girlfriend or be their boyfriend or what what have you. And then they promise them the world and I'm going to buy you this, I'll buy you this, I'll buy you this, but hey, I need you to go have sex with my, my buddy because we're poor. I need you to go have sex with my buddy to get us a little bit of money. Okay, have sex with him. Now I need you to go have sex with my other buddy because we need a little bit more money. And then it just turns into one after another, after another, after another. And then that's when they finally are just completely exploiting them. They've got them hooked on drugs, whatever it is. Um, But when I was getting into it for our city, when I had my suspicions, I went to um, my lieutenants and I said, hey, this is what I would like to do. And they allowed me to have a computer that they gave me where they wiped it clean of everything and allowed me so that any viruses, anything that try to um, um, get to the computer, they allowed me to search the websites and be able to see if um, anything was happening in our area. And if it was happening in in neighboring areas, I could take that information and um, forward it to the agencies where I thought maybe it was. So it wasn't finding these victims per se, but just finding suspicions of it and then being Mm -hmm. able to help um, pass it off where it needed to be to other agencies in order for it to move along where it needed to be. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's kind of my hunch, what I like to go after on my suspicions. Great. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that it's it's not so much uh, uh, rigid protocol. You have to follow this and don't do that. Yeah. Don't look over here. You know, you you have the the um, the, the autonomy to the, you know, self authority rather um, to to investigate things. And, uh, and there's some. Um, do you ever do you ever do any kind of Chris Hansen type stuff where you'll set a trap for somebody like some of these child molesters or anything like that? No, no. no we have not been a part of that as no. of yet. But. No, I there's a there's a, a, a I, I guess I could call him a friend. He's a, he's someone who's a part of our group of people who've been out here at rallies and protests and stuff. And he he does that. He's um he and his girlfriend uh, set up people on or well, set up they will um you know, entrap, I guess you could say people online who want to have sex with little kids, you know, they, you know, they pretend to be like they're 12 or 14 or something. And they'll, they'll arrange a meeting and then they'll go and have the cameras rolling when this person shows up and they've, um, they've got, they've already got about 10 or 11 people so far. And they just started doing this in the last few months. So it's, it's more prevalent than people would like to, think and people would like to acknowledge you know you think that well it's uh i'm sure you know there's a couple of child molesters out there but it's not really that widespread but it's a lot worse than than people realize and uh boy um i just can't believe people are that how can someone be that bad how can someone like you what you just described about how they they treat these vulnerable people and take advantage of them i i just it seems to me like these people are almost not human you know, or money, 
when you think about it, drugs, if I sell you a whatever amount of drugs, I have that amount of drugs I sell to you and it's gone. I have to produce, procure, whatever it is, more drugs in order to sell them. When I have a human being, I can sell them over and over and over and over and over and continue making money off of that same human being and make a large amount of profit off of them. And I can have multiple humans doing that same thing to them. So it's a, it's an extreme profit. And these traffickers have figured that out, that why would I sell an item of whatever, whether it's guns or drugs or anything that I only sell one time and I can't get it back when I can have something that I can just keep selling till it just, you know, won't sell anymore. Or they die or they run off or whatever it is, but I'm just going to get another one and I'll just replace them. And, and sex sells. And unfortunately, whether it's through illegal means or legal means, sex sells. And it's, it, I think that's the, the hard part of it is that, um, I recently just watched a documentary on um, OnlyFans, mm. and um, I've heard rumor um, through some of the classes that I've done for human trafficking that OnlyFans is becoming um, a area that traffickers are using to exploit victims. And so um, I need to do my own research on it just to be able to ha- be um, more well-spoken on it because I know that other social media platforms are being used. I know Snapchat is a huge one that traffickers like to use, um, but OnlyFans is starting to become something that traffickers are using to exploit their victims. And sometimes it's difficult. I mean, we look at juveniles today that are 14 years old, but sometimes they look like they're 17, 18 years old, some some of these juveniles, they look like they're much older than what they are. And you put them on a camera and with all the technology that we have, when you can change the way someone looks on a camera, um, they they don't necessarily look like they're 14, 15, 16 years old. And so, I mean, they're, get, they're getting really crafty with things and they're, they're inserting themselves into um, legal means of... Um, selling sex or, or social media and things like that, that you wouldn't think where sex trafficking would be, but they're there. And a lot of people don't even realize that they're seeing it, but that's what it is. So it's unfortunate. Wow. So it, it, I didn't realize that, 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 um, that is infiltrated, that something is, um, was well, as mainstream, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. as uh, like you said, a Snapchat or an OnlyFans or things like that. People, people don't, uh, I didn't realize it. I know probably majority of people don't. They probably look at these things and and uh, don't think twice. I mean, I, I, I've heard there was another thing where, where Snapchat wouldn't work with law enforcement or they wouldn't turn over the names of users or something like that. But there was um, apparently it's also being used for for drug dealing. And a lot of kids are that's how they're getting their drugs. And and this one this one young man. Uh, our young boy, actually, he was, you know, he was, uh, was a teenager. He overdosed on on some of these drugs he got through someone on Snapchat and they wouldn't cooperate with law enforcement, which they're, they're hard to cooperate with. I mean, I'm sorry, they are difficult to work with um, just to get those search warrants and, and things like that. They're, they're hard to work with. So it's yeah. not easy. But yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, you know, I get, you know protecting privacy but when you're talking about criminal activity i think that that is uh that's out the window especially especially when you're talking about kids i mean come on yes absolutely. you know absolutely 
I mean, be more like Zuckerberg. Give give up everybody's information. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It's for everybody. Just I take agree. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. yeah. Yeah. So uh, I mean, it's definitely a a thin, a thin. It's a razor. You know, it's like walking on a razor's edge. You know, on one hand, you want to um, make sure that we respect people's uh, civil rights and their anonymity, but on the other hand, uh, you know, we need to, like the story I brought up earlier about down in Australia, they're saying, well, we want everybody online to have have their online identity linked to their real world identity. So whether they present a driver license or a passport or some other form or fashion to identify themselves. And they say they're doing this to cut down on, on people um, spreading misinformation or people um, otherwise, uh, engaging in, you know, nefarious activities. Um, but I think in, in kind of in favor of that, um, even though I'm not, but I, but in kind of argue in favor of that, you know, that would be one good way to cut down on this type of online trafficking, you know? So that's, I guess, I guess a prime example of, you know, how do we weigh the benefit, the cost of benefit, you know, of rights versus, benefit to society and that's right. a, that's a really a tough call so i'm glad you brought that up absolutely yeah so um what was i i was going to say something else um oh uh yeah you do you, do you ever see yourself i mean this is um allison directed at you did you do you ever see yourself moving into uh, more specialized law enforcement something like in vice working in a, like a vice department or working perhaps uh, with the federal government in that regard uh, I have looked into the federal government. Um, I actually, that was my intention when, before I got into law enforcement, my goal was to become an FBI agent. Um, but I wanted to become a street cop first. This is what I had said in my mind. I'm gonna be a street cop for a couple of years. I'm gonna go to the FBI. Um, but we've had some, um, family things come up in the last couple of years. I've realized that to me, I want a work life balance. And I think family is really extremely important to me. And I respect the FBI so much. I don't want to move and I want to remain close to my family. And so I think that's one of the deciding factors for me is that I just, I want to be close. I want to be able to be here to take care of my parents when they get older and things like that. So I think life has just kind of thrown a few curveballs lately that have just kind of changed my course and what I want. Um, but that being said, I would, um, I aspire and I would love to maybe get into our detective bureau or something along those lines, just because I, that's really where I, I feel like I, Excel. That's where I feel the best is um, working directly with victims and um, just talking to people. Whereas I feel like you excel best on the road as a patrolman, um, responding to you know calls for service and things like that. So I just think that investigations have always just been my thing that I really enjoy doing. So hopefully that's the goal. <laughs> we'll see. Okay. All right. That sounds good. And I, I definitely can can respect that uh, with regard to. Uh, work-life balance. I, I learned many years ago that it's it's easy to get caught up in your career and let other things aside. And I, I have I have some regrets over that. And um, I'm glad that you've realized that because um, some some things I can't go back and change. And yeah. uh, and I, I let I let my career get the best of me and let my life fall apart around me. And so that's smart. That's very wise of you to uh, well, to, you. to to 
to uh, notice that up front and uh, address it. So uh, before we go here, uh, do, do you, first of all, if you have any extra uh, other, sh- uh, other, I can't even talk. <laughs> if you have any, <laughs> We're in the wrong business, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm supposed to be the host of a podcast here. Um, but you know, do you have any final thoughts? And of course, also um, how can people find your podcast and more and find out more about you or follow you on social media? Um, so you guys can follow us on our Instagram. It is knock and talk podcast on Instagram. Um, we are still building our website right now. I've had a little bit of difficulty with it, but um, please reach out to us at our email. It's knock and talk pod at gmail.com. Um, for if you would like to be on our show, we are really looking to get guests on our show. Um, we have the ability um, to do the call-ins. Uh, if anyone's local in Ohio, if you shoot us an email, we do have the ability to also do in-person. So um, if anyone wants to reach out to us via our email, uh, is there anything that you would like to add? Nope. I think that's it. This, this has is, been a blast. Yeah, this though. has been Thank awesome. So I'm very appreciative that you are our first person, but this is the first show that we've been guests on. So I'm, I'm excited that this was the first one. So Awesome. Well, I'm honored to to have been your your first your first podcast uh that's great <laughs> um and and i do definitely wish you well with your podcast and from what i from what i hear you you guys are really off to a good start and and you definitely you, you've you've got the personalities for it and you've definitely got the voices for it i i swear listening to you both I'm just, these are like radio personalities really we're like, having fun we're having yeah. so much fun with it and that is all that matters to me so <laughs> we're having so much fun it's great so. well that, that's what that's what it's about you know you got to have fun sometimes you can't be can't be all yeah. work you know um exactly you got to have fun so i'm glad you found kind of an outlet to do that and 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 i know the world wants to hear what you've got to say. So uh, I do encourage people to check it out. The knock and talk podcast. I found it on Spotify and uh, I recommend folks you you do the same. So thanks again for coming on the show and uh, don't be strangers. Be sure to stay in touch and we'll have you back on soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Thanks. Have a good good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was a lot of fun. I'm glad we got them on the show. Like I said, they've got a great podcast. You got to check it out. It's the Knock and Talk Show. Uh, like I said, I found it on Spotify. You can follow them on Instagram at the at Knock and Talk. I wrote it down. No, I didn't write it down here. Uh, but I will put the link to their Instagram handle in the show notes section of this podcast so that you can follow them directly. And of course, uh, I'll also put the link to uh, Spotify so you can check them out that way too. And I, again, would like to thank you for tuning in to the Free America podcast. Of course, it is you that makes this podcast possible. So if you like what we do here at Free America Podcast, please consider going to freeamericapodcast.com and uh, making us a support. Support us in one form or fashion or another. If you, um, if you like what we do here at the show, you can make a contribution, as some of our viewers and listeners do. And you can also um, support us by supporting our sponsors. All right. Well, that's it for now, folks. And uh, I just want to say once again, that freedom isn't free. You got to fight for it and you got to fight to keep it. And it seems like these days they are fighting to take it away from us. So get on out there and fight for your freedom, folks. Good night, everybody. 